This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Today was the early signing day for football and we'll discuss the 15 and newest Panthers, as well as continuing to look at Georgia State's upcoming Christmas showdown with Ball State and the 2021 Camellia Bowl. We'll also talk about the Panthers' tough loss on the road at Mississippi State in men's basketball. But first... National Signing Day, part one, 15 new Panthers joined the squad today as of recording this podcast, and they are running back KZ Adams, offensive lineman Bryson Broadway, quarterback Keelan Brown, transfer from Memphis, cornerback Isaiah Guy, defensive end Makai Hill, safety Isaiah Holland, defensive back DIC Hopkins, cornerback JT Jackson, Offensive lineman Alec Johnson, cornerback Jeremiah Johnson, who's a transfer from Mississippi Delta Community College. Offensive lineman Chauncey Kamakea, tight end Raheem Laney, transfer from Hutchinson Community College. Tight end Avion McBride, free safety slash outside linebacker Peter Simmons II, and safety Chris Smith, who is a transfer from Garden City Community College. The early signing period stays open until this Friday the 17th, and then the next National Signing Day comes on February 2nd. So, gentlemen, lots of stuff to talk about with this early signing class. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's always exciting these days where you can look at all of these players, not even just at Georgia State, but across the country, signing their letters of intent, knowing they're going to go play college football, and it's an exciting time for them and their families, and you know, as Georgia State has continued to grow and put together these winning seasons, we have seen a sort of a trend where less and less freshmen are playing right away. You know, a lot played in the 2018 season where Georgia State went 2-10, and 10, and that's really the last time you've really seen a, an excess of freshmen playing early in their careers at Georgia State. And so that's sort of a good positive sign as far as Georgia State in that they're playing more experienced guys, and that's leading to better results. But it also makes the soothsaying in the uh, aftermath of National Signing Day a little bit more of just, uh, well, we'll see these guys when we see these guys. But you know, the truth is, I think that they brought in a good, diverse class. They balanced out the classes a little bit with some of these junior college guys and transfers they brought in. And you know, I, I will open it up to David for any of his his initial thoughts, but. I will tease and say I think it's possible there's four, maybe five starters out of this group. There's definitely a lot of talent, um, you know, and that's I feel like the one thing that we can say about Coach Elliott and, you know, kind of I guess this is his what sixth technically recruiting class that he will have had. Um they each year, I feel like they continue to raise the bar um, and acquire the talent that they do acquire. Um, I Personally, I'm not going to play the same game that we did last year when it came to the signing class and the kind of the transfer window um, as it relates to who could come in and be an impact player and who could start um, and who can't be. But I still feel like this coaching staff, I was going to say administration, this coaching staff has earned the benefit of the doubt um, in kind of who the guys that they kind of identify as guys who are going to be key players. Um, one player I do want to shout out or talk about for just a moment is uh, Casey, Casey Adams. Um, you know, we kind of saw his name thrown around there a lot. And, you know, he seemed very adamant about, you know, I want to come to Georgia State. Like, I'm, you know, I'm coming to Georgia State. And I think at the like last week or something, a couple of schools 
uh, kind of reached out to him and asked, you know, about his interest in coming for an unofficial visit. But, you know, he was very, very strong in his love for Georgia State. And I mean, this guy can play running back is all I will say. You know, he I think didn't he have something stupid like like he had like 5000 yards or something and led like, the nation this year. Yeah. Thirty three hundred forty three yards, forty two touchdowns. Yeah. Like that's, that's one season. That's that's kind of stupid. Um, it's not the five thousand that I thought it was. Forgive me, but you know, like I feel like every week we would get there, we would get a notification on Friday about, oh, there goes KZ for his usual, yeah. you know, two fifty and four touchdowns or whatever. Right, it was. exactly. So. It was a thing where it was a ritual where we'd find the tweet and be like, all right, did he go over two fifty or three hundred in this game? And it was always one of them. Yeah, I just put up yards, and so we obviously we don't know the, the, the future status of the two senior running backs, but. It would not surprise me to see Tucker and Jim Jam Williams back in 2022. And so you're not going to be looking there as a position where he can jump in day one, but oh, there's room for a third guy to grab the hold in, in 2019 when Georgia state was really firing. Obviously they had Trey Barnett getting all of the yards, but they also had Destin Coates. They also had Seth page as different change of back types, a uh, change of pace type backs and, so the door is open for him to come in. And if he's doing what he does, he's been doing in high school from day one, he could definitely be a guy to fight his way in. And you're right. I mean, I think when you look at it plainly, like guy who is a finalist for Mr. Football and who literally set the state record for rushing yards in a season, that's what jumps off the page for sure. But uh, I thought that it, a couple of interesting things, and I'll go back to what I teased earlier. If I had to go to guys that I think maybe could play sooner than than later it's obviously the ones that came from either you know a different university or from a junior college rather than the freshmen just for you know they're further along the path that's sort of why you go out and get junior college guys and so when you look at offensive lineman bryson broadway he coming in from fcs eastern illinois and he's actually from dawsonville and so he's a guy that I wouldn't surprise me what would maybe be as many as three openings on the offensive line. Another thing that's not set in stone yet. There's openings to be had. There's a job to do one for him. You look at the defensive end. I think Chris Moore's a super senior cannot come back. So Chris Smith being another Chris to immediately slot in at safety would make a lot of sense. Jeremiah Johnson, a cornerback from Mississippi Delta Community College. Another guy that wouldn't shock me if he... Would not shock me if he ends up taking a starting job out there on the perimeter. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out in the spring and in the fall. And uh, I think it's probably time we do talk about it. You know, Keelan Brown, four years of eligibility coming from Memphis at quarterback and a guy that very clearly fits the prototype of what Brad Glenn likes in a quarterback. And so certainly is going to be interesting to see that play out as we go into next year and see how the quarterback position shapes up for Georgia State. I will be as consistent this year as I was last year at this point in time and say I do not foresee a quarterback competition, but I will be cognizant of what happened this year, and I will say I'm very interested to see what coaches' comments look like in the springtime, um, kind of at the spring game, just kind of see what those snaps look like. I'm sure it's going to be Darren with the you know QB1 jersey or whatever, um, and you know Keelan will be on the scout team or you know what have you, but um, 
I know kind of what to expect from this uh, staff when it comes to, you know, quarterback controversy, you know, coach was very quick to, you know, kind of make a decision this year and kind of stick with it. So um, if there is a situation where, you know, a guy kind of is that leader throughout the summer or, you know, heading into the first game next year, you know, it's going to be very apparent. And so, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of how that shakes out. Yeah, I mean, I would say I, th- I, my personal odds would say put a little, slightly more likely that there is somewhat of a competition, but it's still December twenty twenty one. There's still a bowl game to be played. We don't know it's going to shake out, but it wouldn't surprise me if they are looking for that real honest competition. And I think that that nature of it, and with the three guys last spring, definitely helped. It, it certainly at least helped Darren get his feet going find his way in the offense and obviously we know where that led to but uh the other thing i wanted to mention maybe in just a closing thought on the signing class is you got a couple of guys i mentioned bryson broadways from dawson county chris smith came from a community college in kansas but he went to decula high school in gwinnett county which is also where jalen jones went so there's a little bit of a decula pipeline being built there and so you are seeing in this class a couple of real returns to home, as it were, and some other guys from the state of Georgia coming in as high school athletes. Always a fan of seeing that and interested to see what all these guys can do. But at this point, I don't know how much more we can really say. We're going to have to see it play out on the field in the spring and in the fall. But it's a good crop of players. I think all you really just needed to do is keep adding in talent. And uh, we see it. You know, in its positions, I think, you know, you see the tight ends that got brought in. You see the guys in the front seven that got brought in, especially like defensive end, outside linebacker. And the way that teams, you know, the teams have been going, you start to need to trust in those type of positions that the coaches know the guys that how do I do that? That certainly extends the offensive line. I think implicitly at this point, you trust Coach Elliott's evaluation and, and uh, you know, Coach Nagabi's evaluations on offensive linemen because they've earned that benefit of the doubt. and. So I I think you look at it and go, you assume that those are going to be guys that can be contributors in seasons to come. So now that the first part of National Signing Day is in the rearview mirror for the Panthers, the next thing looming on the horizon is, of course, that Christmas Day showdown against Ball State in Montgomery, Alabama in the Camellia Bowl. So uh, do we have any other thoughts on that game at this point? Yeah, I mean, the dust continues to settle uh, from the regular season. And I guess for this week, I kind of want to just focus on the Georgia state side of things and just, you know, what we saw them do so well that got them on this winning streak. And we've talked about it probably ad nauseum, but it it keeps bearing in mind is that they just took control of the ball so well and they didn't turn it over. And they also got turnovers. And, you know, I think the thing that maybe is tricky in that is that ball state is a pretty experienced team. And, you know, you've got a pretty good group of guys from them that, they were redshirting and they were new, but they played when Georgia State played uh, Ball State. He's, he's an opener in 2016. And so, you know, I don't know how you emphasize anymore the thing that coaches emphasize more than anything else with just turnovers and ball control and everything. But it's definitely going to be something that it's going to be a test because Ball State doesn't necessarily. They've got guys that are also drilled not to make mistakes and have had a lot of experience, a senior quarterback and all that. And so. I, it, it's the cliche that the football game always goes down to, but it's what Georgia State really hung their hat on in the back half of the season, and it's going to be another important factor in this bowl game. 
It certainly is, you know. Um, they did a good job, like you said, but it, as you also said, like Ball State has experience. Like they, you know, likely went up against teams who didn't, you know, turn the ball over a bunch of times. And, you know, so Georgia State is going to continue to have to find ways to continue and find, find ways to keep the ball as they have. And, you know, that isn't going to be hard for them, I feel like, only because of how they like to run their offense. You know, it's after the middle of the season, it wasn't like their running attack was, you know, turning the ball, like putting the ball on the ground and fumbling every other play or anything like that. Oh, my gosh, that would be impressively bad. <laughs> you know, so if Darren is able to keep the ball out of Ball State's hands, I still like Georgia State's chances. Um, I honestly I feel like I'm too high on Georgia State in this game only because I see where Georgia State likes to move the ball and how they generate most of their offense. And I'm struggling to find a scenario in which ball state is able to compete with the Panther express. Um, And the reason I say that is because like you mentioned, like they are ball state is really good at picking up turnovers. Like, you know, absolutely correct. You know, obviously, you know, they have the 15 interceptions. They only had the four, they had four fumble recoveries. Um, so, you know, they were still able to take advantages of teams who were a little bit loose with the ball, but, you know, it's not like we're talking about a Georgia state team. Who's going to throw it 40 times a game, you know, like obviously if the, if the looks are there, they'll get 40 passing attempts in a game. But, you know, I, I couldn't tell you the last time that Darren threw it for 40, 40 times in a single game this year. Um, and you know, that's where I think Georgia state is going to shine. Like they're going to want to put the ball on the ground. Um, they're going to want to run the ball and, you know, just kind of keep the ball out of ball state's reach and, you know, kind of go from there. So I think it plays really to Georgia state's strength and kind of plays not to ball state's weakness, but it plays out of ball state's strength. Yeah. I mean, valid points for about the rushing attack, but the other thing I did want to mention is that it will end up having being a little over a month since Georgia State will have played a game. Little, you know, the last time they played was on twenty seventh of November, Christmas Day, obviously on the twenty fifth of December. So, little under thirty days, and that both can be a thing where you got to shake off some rust. It's been a long, long time since you played a real game, but we saw Cornelius McCoy getting a little healthier every week the last couple of games. Sam Pickney obviously was pretty much back to the Sam Pickney we saw in 2020, made a great touchdown catch against Troy in the regular season finale. And so I am interested to see if there's a different dimension to the passing attack with as maybe even a month healthier and see what the difference is there with those guys. Because I think we were waiting all season sort of for that explosion and it didn't really come until the last game for Sam and Cornelius never really was afforded the chance. He really battled through his injury and and they took it slow with him to get all the way back on the field. And I guess I'll be interested to see what kind of a snap count he is on or not on in the bowl game, but we've seen what those guys can do and taking the top off of defenses when they're going. And we even saw it in the bowl game with both of them last year, even though obviously completely different offense, different quarterback and, trying to do things differently, but I am interested to see what they do with the passing game. Cause it's still going to be run first, going to be run often. It's going to be run last, but I'm interested to see on the passing plays, if they're able to open up their bag of toys and get some 
know, deception, some misdirection, play action fake, little pop pass or roll out Darren and have Sam or Cornelius or Jamar Thrash, Jakaias Cradle, just beat their guy on the perimeter, get open and get your shot plays in the passing game. I just want to see one 90-yard drive of nothing but run plays again because it's been a couple of weeks and that was beautiful. So make it so, Georgia State. It's it's only been a couple of weeks because we haven't seen games. Exactly. (laughs) Make it so, Georgia State and Ball State. All right. And, of course, before we get to play the Camellia Bowl, there is a whole slew of other Sunbelt Bowl action. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, including Coastal playing Friday, this upcoming Friday, tomorrow as of the release of this podcast, in the Cure Bowl versus Northern Illinois of the MAC at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN2. Appalachian State playing Western Kentucky in the Boca Raton Bowl to kick off Saturday's bowl festivities at 11 a.m. Eastern on ESPN. And a Billy Napier-less Louisiana play Marshall in the New Orleans Bowl this Saturday's nightcap at 9.15 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. And what will be a first game in charge for their newly named head coach, Michael DeZormo. So, gentlemen, Sunbelt Bowl Slate, what are we thinking? All right. So here's what's going to happen. I feel like the Sunbelt is not going to sweep this year, but they will do reasonably well like they always do. Um, I do think Coastal um, is a really bad matchup for Northern Illinois, um, only because Northern Illinois' bread and butter is kind of running the ball. Um, and, you know, the teams that run the ball effectively against Coastal generally do better, you know, as evidenced by Georgia State's victory against them. Um, but I also know that Grayson McCall's back. Um, you know, he looks, I don't want to say he looks fine because it's been a couple of weeks, but I'm sure he is healthy. Um, as healthy. If he wasn't healthy, he wouldn't be playing in the game. And I uh, saw something today that he said he's feels the healthiest he has all year. There or, you go. I guess since the injury, whatever, what have you. Yeah. So that health seems to be no longer a factor for him. Yeah. That to me seems like a matchup nightmare for Northern Illinois. Um, and as far as another bad matchup, Western Kentucky and App State, you know, I really, I was really hoping for Georgia State and Western Kentucky this year, not going to lie. Um, I wanted to see Bailey Zapp in person. Um, I hope that's how you say his last name. Forgive Zappy. me. Uh, Zappy. Zappy? Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I think, Even I better. believe, yeah, he leads the country in yards and touchdowns. I mean, his season was pretty absurd. Um, and he was like some poor clock management and like eight yards away from ending up uh, winning the conference USA championship game, um, which was pretty nuts. Cause I think they were down like 21 in the second. Yeah. Half. I was going to say spotting UTSA, a pretty <laughs> major lead was probably why they lost and not the late game stuff. Correct. Like, if you lose a game late, but you were down, I think 25 at one point, it's yeah. probably because you were down 25. It was it was something like pretty crazy, too. It wasn't just like, oh, they were down 14. Um, but I did want to see him versus Georgia State just because, you know, he seems like an electric quarterback in college football right now. Um, don't love that matchup for them against App State. App State's a team that likes to control the clock, tempo, you know, smart with their passes, still run the ball well. Um, so that's a nightmare for them. Um, Louisiana Marshall, honestly, I feel like this one's a toss up. Um, Marshall's very good. Um, I know that App State was able to beat Marshall earlier this year, um, just kind of barely. Uh, but if there is a team 
that I feel like is going to give Louisiana fits. It's probably this Marshall team. Um, they were pretty close themselves to f- being one of the better teams in Conference USA. I feel like they had some some tough luck, um, some really close losses, um, but also some close wins. So, you know, I think the schedule just didn't really line up well for them. Um, but, you know, Louisiana is probably looking to finish off what is their best season of the year. Um, so I think, didn't I just say that the Sunbelt's not going to sweep? I feel like I just called it. Yeah, it's like, I feel like you're just so, implying that Ball State's going to win, which you basically <laughs> wasn't going to happen earlier. So no, get you're some right. consistency. Yeah. What am I doing? I feel like I talked myself into the Sunbelt sweep. Let it be. So the Sunbelt will sweep. See, I, I think that, what I would say is it does set up nicely that a sweep is very possible. You don't look at any game and think this team doesn't have a chance. This is a bad matchup. And you laid out kind of the dynamics of each of the games pretty well, I think. But, you know, I, I'll go line by line like you did. I think Coastal beats Northern Illinois, like you say. That offense humming with Grayson McCall back healthy. Uh, should have a good Coastal faithful down there in the soccer city in Orlando. And uh, you know, I agree uh, with your impressive your oppressiveness, impressiveness, being impressed by Bailey Zappi in Western Kentucky. You know, we saw that team last year in the bowl game and that offense was not doing much of anything that was going to scare you. They only put, I think, average 19 a game last year over the whole season. And this year they improved by 25 points per game, 24 points per game, something in that range. And that's just an incredible turnaround. They brought in Bailey Zappi from Houston Baptist and his offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, who has now been hired by Texas Tech as that offensive coordinator, though he will be coaching the bowl game. And that would have been a factor for me. Uh, if he was not coaching the bowl game and calling plays, all that, I might think differently from what I'm about to say. But yeah, I think that it's not a great matchup for Western Kentucky on paper, but there's a couple of things at play for me. And one of them is that it kind of doesn't matter because yeah, they don't run the ball very well, but they're just so prolific passing the ball and that they do the thing where they, they run through the air, so to speak, they get the quick passes out of the backfield, quick passes out to receivers that are basically run plays, but they're pass plays because that's just the way that their air ready system goes. And so I feel like that matters a little bit less to me. And, I think App has looked beatable at times when they played good teams. And Georgia State, I think that's one of the games they'd like to circle back and try again because they just, in the second half, it just completely melted down for them and it was not their best effort. And App State ran away with that. And so, obviously, the Georgia State pod saying that about the team that beat Georgia State by 29 when they were the road team, it looks, you know, I can understand what that looks like, but I just think that they haven't necessarily been firing like. We've seen app teams before. I think Western Kentucky can do some damage through the air against them, even though they've got a good secondary. And they're undefeated in bowl games. And that's an impressive thing. And I think they're still going to win a lot of bowl games when they go. And they're obviously the standard of the conference to match. Georgia State wants to match. But, you know, as you keep going through and you just never slip up once, it just feels like eventually it's going to be your year, even if you still have a good team. And so for that reason, I am going to say it won't be an undefeated sweep for Sunbelt because I think Western Kentucky pulls off that upset in Boca Raton. And um, I'm kind of 50-50 on the Louisiana Marshall New Orleans Bowl because initially my thought was that the the win one for Billy game was going to be the Sunbelt title game, and I thought they were going to win that game. We didn't talk about it on here. 
but I was not surprised that they pulled together for him, won that game, second time they beat Appalachian State in the year in Cajun Field. And so my mind was going to go to, okay, and then the obvious letdown game after you lose your head coach happens at some point, and so the bowl game would make a lot of sense. Marshall's got their starting quarterback healthy, Grant Grant Wells, and so that's a factor as well. But they hired the offensive coordinator, a Cajun alum, DeSormo, and so it kind of changes that dynamic because it is their head coach. Like The guy who's coaching the bowl game is the guy who's going to coach them game one 2022 and so it's not a, a thing where like it's it's a whole different dynamic they can just jump right on board it's in louisiana they're gonna have a lot of fans there they're looking for a 13 and one season would be an incredible mark to make and i i do think they pull it out and so i would say sunbelt goes two and one in the non-georgia state stretch and again like if app state wins and if app state wins by like 30 and runs for 500 yards it wouldn't shock me i don't think that it's going to be a situation where any one of these Sunbelt teams gets overmatched by anyone. I just wouldn't surprise me if that Boca Raton Bowl is one of the better ones of the bowl season where just each team scores in the 40s and it goes crazy. So we will be uh, tracking all the Sunbelt Bowl action and uh, keeping tabs on everything as that unfolds. But we do have one more topic to discuss today, and that, of course, is that basketball game against Mississippi State Panthers lose 79 to 50 over in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, Miss State playing suffocating defense, holding Georgia State to 33% shooting and 26% from three. State a single digit game for much of the first half, but the Bulldogs went on an 18 and 8 run in the final six minutes to take a 43 to 22 lead going into halftime. And but for a brief 8-0 run for the Panthers to bring it back to a 15 point deficit, it never got better in the second half. The team is now five and four on the year and will host non-D1 Tacoa Falls College Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern in what will be the final non-conference home game in the Georgia State Sports Arena before making the short drive across to North Avenue next Tuesday, December 21st, to face the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at McCamish Pavilion to wrap up non-conference play. So, uh, gentlemen, what are your thoughts about this? Well, a basketball game definitely happened this week. It was regulation. It's going to count. Uh, Are you sure? Georgia State's going to have a loss on the record. Uh, I don't think there's any appeals process that could be out. I think the game is going to stand, is the thing. And well, we all watched it, and uh, that memory will live on as well. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start with the getting off the ledge point of view in that I would just implore people not to take big, arching takeaways from a game against an SEC opponent on the road like that. Like, We've been talking about maybe potential warning signs with this team and how things just haven't been going right. And certainly you saw some of that play out. But just as far as the specifics, I would just try and remove as much of whatever big picture things you want to look at from just that specific game because Mississippi State came out there, SEC roster. They played good defense basically from the tip. And so that was certainly a factor in Georgia State struggling, shooting the ball as Jordan laid out struggling with you know as many struggling and capital letter problem just was not a good offensive night for georgia state but that's because they are you know top 50 team in the nation and they did what they're supposed to do and i guess where i would start on the other side of things is just we've we've talked as well about you know elio semi's been out and it's clearly been a dynamic that's been missing and 
I think it's shifted guys into roles that they are doing more than, than they would have been asked to if LEL was out there. And I mean, your front court rotation basically right now is Jalen Thomas, Jaheim Hudson, who wasn't there last year. He's a true freshman. Jamal Kleiss, who sometimes is playing the five when he's not a five and is also a true freshman. And Caleb Scott, who hasn't really played much in his two years at Georgia State. So you, you're going with a front court rotation that's a lot. Not only is it thin and not only is it you know, inexperienced, but you don't have that one guy to, to set that mood defensively down in the front court. And I don't think it's any of their faults. I think it's certainly not for a lack of effort. I think guys are playing hard, but you know that that is the case. You have that situation. You're working through it. LEL might be close to coming back. But you also know you have three senior guards, and I think there's an expectation, even in games like this where you're going to get tested, that you can rely on those guys to get points, and they'll keep you in games, and you know you've got your flaws in the front court, or you've got your guys working into the college game in the front court, but you've got those guys that you bank on an experience. You get two super seniors come back, and it wasn't there on this game against Mississippi State. You know They didn't have a good shooting performance collectively, and I think that's where... You know, LEL coming back may not be the silver bullet that's going to fix the team. The other thing that's going to happen is just you're going to have to have your senior guards take over games offensively, and it just wasn't the case in this one. It certainly was not. Um, you know, I th- like you said, you gave good credit to Mississippi State, and I will as well. I feel like they played a really good defensive game and an offensive game. Um, I feel like they contested a lot of shots that Georgia State were getting, and, you know, it was good looks for Georgia State. Um, not necessarily the most wide open looks. Um, some of them were falling. Some of them weren't. Some, a lot of them weren't. Um, I also want to give a quick shout out to Jalen Thomas because there were a couple of sequences there where I felt like uh, his defensive performance was exactly what you would expect out of him being the only true big man on the floor. Um, and I, you know, I felt like he defended the wing and the paint as best as he could. Um, you know, that being said, I feel like the team is just missing something right now. Um, I don't know that LEL is said something, um, you know, for coaches sake and for the goals that this team has had sake. You know, you're really hoping that whatever it is that he can bring is the immediate spark that just kind of lights a fire under everybody's butt. Um you know, we, we, we talk about we talked about it with football earlier in the season how there was so much experience on the offensive line that the breakdowns that we were seeing was not something that you expected with all that experience. Um, And just kind of given all of the, you know, to extrapolate that to this, given the experience in the backcourt, you know, you should not be seeing the, I guess, lack of offensive firepower that sometimes I feel like Georgia State is displaying. Um, I know COVID is still a thing. I know, um, I know the numbers, the total numbers still look good. Um, so it's it's not like I'm necessarily worried about it, but I feel like at times to go along with a defense that has not been up to par, uh, you know, you have an offense that has just really not been able to find their footing as it relates to shooting the ball. Um, and, you know, like I said, pair that with a defense that absolutely needs to continue to get better, find a way to get better it's kind of a recipe for a disaster. And that's kind of what the Mississippi state game was. And like I say, I don't think it was a lack of effort. And I thought guys were really trying on the defensive end in this game. And you saw in the second half, 
considering all the context, I thought it was a good defensive second half. The only real issue you can take with it is that they were committing a lot of fouls and Mississippi State was hitting their free throws in the second half. And that led to Mississippi State putting up a fair amount of points, but you knocked them off their pace that it could have been, especially as the way that that second half, uh, I guess the second half of the first half was trending. And it's been the last six minutes where it went from a single digit game to very much not a single digit game anymore. And you had stretches where Corey Allen started finding his uh, three point shot early in the second half. And Nelson Phillips, you know, we keep talking about him. He keeps making his looks. He's getting, He's basically the only one in this game. He was three of four for three point. The team was six of 23 from three point. And so he was most of the consistency there. And it was the same in the Mercer game where he set his career high with five made threes. And I think he, he is a guy that you're starting to see. And we saw this, especially towards the end of Coach Senior's first year, the last year Nelson played, that if he's got his feet set in the corner, at top of the key, whatever, you find him, he's going to hit open looks. And I think they've got to find a way to maybe get him more involved and go to him as kind of that, we need a bucket, let's find a Nelson three, get him going. Because he's starting to get really trustworthy in that role. And, you know, that is the one, I I don't want to say it's a bright spot because I don't want to, like, it's not all bad. I don't think the offense is the problem. And I've said that a couple of times on the pod, but I think that such that there is a problem on offense is to do with just, more shots got to go in. And, and when you've got the senior guards you have and they're taking these looks and they're looking to drive and get to the hoop, they've just, you got to make more shots. And that's really easy to say when you're talking to a microphone and you're not the one going up against SEC guards who are contesting really well. But it's just a simple fact of the matter is there's times when Georgia State has been just giving it, you know, their offense is all right. Kane, beat your guy off the dribble, go to the basket, get a shot to go in. And first part of it's going well. He's getting separation. He's getting to the hoop and just the shots aren't falling enough. And when the shots aren't falling and there's no contact, they're not getting to the, getting to the free throw line. Just the way those plays are set up, it's not really conducive to getting second chances when it's just a guy going on his own into the lane, beating his, you know, beating a guy. I was to defend him. There's going to be guys in the post defending who are going to rotate over the rebound. There's going to be the guy who was defending Kane in this scenario in the first place that are going to be there to get the rebound. And so if you put up a shot, you might be in a, you know, a sea of trees, so to speak with defenders and your, your teammates might be set up in the corners for possible outlets. And so it's happening a fair amount of times where Georgia State's just getting one and done on offense because that's the offense they're running and they're not making those looks. And you certainly wouldn't care that much if the shots are going in and you're setting up your defense from that point. You're getting points on the board. And in, in this game particularly, that was what was hurting them is they were not getting second chances and they weren't really getting great looks. And when they, they were getting good enough looks, they just weren't going in enough. And that's just the name of the game. Basketball is putting the ball in the hoop and you're going to have to do that a few more times. And I guess the other thing I'd say, and this is not anything the team has anything to do with, it's just the way that the schedule is lined up. So if anything, it's just the way the schedule is constructed and the, uh, the uh, outage of time of not playing is that Georgia state played comparable team Northeastern, the, the first D one competition 
They're currently 164 on Kempom. Georgia State's 136 on Kempom. I think that's about a, a re- reasonable comparison type of team. They played Mercer, but that was their first game back from the outlist, the uh, the outage for the team. They've either played teams they should take care of business against, like Bruton Parker, Voorhees, and now Tacoa Falls, or they've played teams that you know similar level. It's teams you look at at Division One basketball teams that they sh- they should beat, or they've played Richmond top mid-major Mississippi State good SEC team and it's going to be the same way with Tacoa Falls the Saturday and Georgia Tech is the final non-conference game where it's been not been a schedule to help you get a good read it's either been comfortable wins that should be comfortable wins games that you lost because of the way the roster had issues go on or teams that you should you know lose to and so I don't really think that we know what this Georgia State team is. I think part of it is that. I think it just the, the way the schedule is lined up, it's just really hard to get a read on this team. I think that's both a good and a bad thing. You know, this team could rattle off like 15 consecutive Sunbelt wins to open up conference play and just, you know, be firmly in contention to win the conference and, you know, represent the Sunbelt in March. But they also could be a little bit in the middle of the pack for a lot longer than we expected. So, you know, I don't know. I don't really know what this team is and, you know, kind of the, where their ceiling kind of aligns with, uh, you know, where they've kind of played right now and where, you know, they'll play, you know, in a couple of weeks, but it's certainly been a lot more of an up and down season than I think I expected personally. Yeah, and you know, one more chance to get one of those real wins that you can after all of this go beat Georgia Tech on the road and it's still going to feel good to get that one especially cuz it would be two in a row. You're hosting them next year in your own building. So, if you can get a way to win here and sweep in McCamish in the two times you play them, have a chance to get the full sweep next year in the new Convocation Center. I mean, don't have to explain to the listeners or to my fellow podcast hosts what that particular set of games would do for Georgia state and their perception in the state, their feeling of their perception in the state, but you've got that game. It's going to be another game that Georgia Tech, like Mississippi state, they're going to test them with tough defense. And so you'd hope maybe if the game against Mississippi state didn't go well, that it can be a learning experience and do better against some testing defense against Georgia tech. But I kind of laid out just there how the schedule has been kind of inconsistent for Georgia state to get a read and, I guess your one positive with Sunbelt is there are some bad teams. There isn't that top team that you're just not going to beat or you're going to have to have everything go right to beat. And so there's going to be a lot more of those games where you're going to start to get a read on the team. But the problem is you sort of want to know what your team is before you get to conference play because that's when the wins and losses really start to count for a seeding as far as winning the Sunbelt. And so Georgia State is not going to have that luxury. They're going to have to continue to find out who they are on their feet in conference play. And we'll see how it all shakes out. All right. So, of course, we'll keep you updated with all of the developments and we'll be covering the Georgia Tech game as well this upcoming Tuesday. But before we get you out of here this week, let's go ahead and go into some sports bits. Again, still a little bit of a light schedule as we're now in between semesters now that finals are over and graduation has occurred for the fall semester students. Uh, Coming up this weekend, Saturday, women's basketball is 
uh, hosting the GSU Holiday Classic in the sports arena. At 12 p.m., South Alabama will be playing Charleston Southern, and then the Panthers will take on Tulsa at 2 p.m. That game will be on ESPN+. And, of course, men's basketball at uh, versus Toccoa Falls at 6 p.m. in the sports arena on ESPN+, and the GSU mobile app. And then Sunday, the second day of the GSU Holiday Classic, South Alabama will be playing Tulsa at noon, and then at 2 p.m., uh, Panthers will be playing Charleston Southern, and of course, that will be on ESPN+. And then Tuesday, last but certainly not least, traveling up to North Avenue to take on the Yellow Jackets at 9 p.m. on RSN and Bally Sports South, WRAS FM 88.5 with Dave Cohen on the call. And that's all we've got this upcoming week in Panther Athletics, so make sure you keep it tuned to our Twitter and Facebook and wherever you follow us, and we'll keep you abreast of everything that's happening. But thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. If you like what we do and want to help out, consider subscribing to us on Patreon. Patreon membership is just $5 a month and gets you access to a variety of exclusive content made just for our subscribers. You can also connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Thursday Night. And of course, you can always catch our written material on our website, ThursdayNight.com. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of and copyright 2021 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC. All rights reserved.